All right, so as the Yankees prepare to finish up the first uh, first half, I guess you could call it the half of the season, even though we're more than uh, over half of the 2014 season. And as they await um, some more devastating bad news, which could happen about Masahiro Tanaka, I decided to uh, bring some good news and some good stuff to the podcast today and uh, talk about uh, a book about the Yankees, and that book is 162, The Almost Epic Journey of a Yankee Superfan by Steve Melia, where uh, Steve actually went to all 162 games of the 2011 Yankees season, including the postseason, and then started it up the next year and went to the first nine of 2012. And Steve joins me today to talk about the book. Steve, how's it going today? I'm doing fantastic for having me on your show. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, you know, when I first came across this, and you know, I read up on it. I know that uh, Bald Vinny had something to do with it, and he, and uh, you know, being a bleacher creature and, and joining him over the years, and him being a part of uh, this podcast and this site in the past, you know, it intrigued me. And as I got to, you know, more learn more about the story, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where I always felt, oh, if I win the Powerball, if I, if I win the lottery, I'll, I'll you know, get season tickets uh, to the Yankees behind home plate, go to every game, home and away, and uh, that'd become my life. But you know, you didn't have to win the Powerball you didn't have to you know win the lottery and you were still able to do it so I guess what made you decide from the get-go you're gonna just spend your entire summer six months straight going to all the Yankees games <laughs> you know it was, there was a few different factors you know uh, first of all I you know I was like 24 I'm 44 now I started a business and I've done well you know I've financially I'm not I'm not a millionaire I'm not rich but I've done well and I've got a lot of freedom uh, and so what it's enabled me to do is uh, travel whenever I want. And um, I watch every game for the most part. I'm, I'm like a pretty dedicated Yankee fan, obviously. Uh, and unless the game's blacked out, like sometimes the Saturday games are blacked out, I pretty much watch every game. And then I watched, um, I, you know, I get the MLB package. I don't get the Yes Network. So I never watch the Ultimate Fan where Bald Vinny and a, a few other fans uh, – in 2005 went to every game, but I would see the commercials, you know, playing in between uh, innings. I would only see the commercials on the show, and I was like, man, you know, I think I could do that. I was like, you know, I could, and uh, and in Mar- on March 1st of 2011, with really only about 30 days notice, well, exactly 30 days notice, I'd been thinking about it for weeks and months, and I tried to get a bunch of different buddies and relatives and stuff, and nobody wanted to do it with me. <laughs> and I, I made the, yeah, I made the decision. I gave my 30-day notice uh, where I was living, uh, and I just decided to go for it. And for, for 30 days, basically, it was just like all out. I spent, uh, you know, some of my time just, um, logistics trying to get, uh, you know, friends in different cities to put me up or whatever, uh, to get promotion. I do stand up comedy. Part of the idea was, uh, call it the 162 comedy tour. And I do stand up in as many cities as I could. So I started pounding the phones, calling comedy clubs all over, and really just trying to get promotion. I got a couple local news stories to start picking up on it, and within a couple of weeks, I had a little bit of momentum going. Well, you mentioned how you just decided to go for it. You gave your 30-day notice where you're living. You got up, and you did it. And it's one of those things in life. Uh, it reminds me, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Jim Carrey gave a commencement speech at a, at a college, and he mentioned how uh, you know his dad could have been a great comedian, but he, he, he went with a safe job and became an accountant. He never really strove for it. And basically, the gist of his speech was, you know, if you have something, you want to do you should go for it and there's a lot of people that always say you know they're gonna do this they want to do this um and and then they never get to it and it's good to see you know that you just went right for it and just you know did what you want to do you know it was it was such a big question mark like uh you know when you really start looking at how much it's going to cost i mean i had no idea you know i I tried to you try to get to me you know i got the calendar out and i looked at all six months and i said you know what I could fly here, but I'd have to drive here, here, or, you know, vice versa. And I just started estimating, okay, if I spent, you know, half a night on the road with friends and half a night in a hotel at 100 bucks a night, and I really just started adding everything up. And, 
you know, it looked like it was going to be about six to eight thousand a month. I was like, you know, sometimes I spend that much anyway, <laughs> and uh, and stuff like that. So I figured I think I could pull this off, and but I did it on such a cheap. Like I, I'm a few things I'm most proud of is I never paid for parking in the Bronx, and I drove every night, eighty-one games plus rainouts and stuff. Um, and I always just got there early, and I drove around until I got a spot. And you know, there was no way I was going to pay twenty-five, thirty-five bucks a night. Um, I brought bottles of water in every game. Rather than going in and buying $12 beers, I bought like two or three, and I'd drink them pregame and then sober up, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> well, you look at what you did, and you know, uh, I saw that it happened. You said you roughly about $60,000 to do it, and I would guess um, go in the, uh, not cheap way, but the, the, uh, the economical way, like you just said, and bringing your own waters, doing things, and not going crazy on concessions or parking or travel and plane tickets. And when you think about that, I mean, there must have been some, you know, brutal things you had to go through on the road if you're going to all these cities in six months coming back from New York, going on the road, coming back again. I mean, there must have been uh, some nights you slept in some strange places across the way. <laughs> yeah, there certainly was. Uh, you know, one of the things I did is um, I decided that one of the sort of tricks to traveling is if you never want to get, it doesn't mean you won't get delayed, but you but if you book the first flight of the day, especially in a major city like New York, uh, even if there's problems, weather problems, that flight's going out. It doesn't have to, if you got the 8 o'clock or the 10 o'clock flight, you got to wait for a plane to come in and then board. So I would almost book the 6 a.m. flight or the 5 a.m. flight, which means you got to be there at 4 or 5, which means you got to, you know, get up at 2 or 3. And sometimes I didn't go to bed till 2 or 3, coming in <laughs> from a road city or something. So it was a lot of, a lot of craziness. But man, if you're a baseball fan like I know you are, Neil, uh, it was so exciting and just the adrenaline every day. You know, even like today, I'd be like, oh man, you know, today's the, uh, you know, whatever's happening. Jeter's in the lineup again and okay, we got this guy back and it was just fun. We got CC going tonight and every day I look forward to the baseball game. It was, uh, you know, there were days on hot days where it got a little bit tiresome and, and, and hot, you know, and it's just you're tired of being on the road, but I never got tired of, the, of watching the Yankees play. Well, when you talk about it like that, it's like, you know, I feel like it almost is one of those things where, uh, you know, it sounds like you had the entire time, you know, you did 176 games in a row, including the beginning of 2012. And it seems like one of those things where at first, you know, it's great and, you, and you're, you're loving it and everything. But, I mean, they always talk about the dog days of summer for MLB players. And these are guys who are, you know, getting meal stipends, making millions of dollars, uh, sitting on charter planes. They don't have to wait for anything. Everything's tailored right to them. Um, and for you, you know, to go through it the way you did, did you start to experience those dog days of summer when the end of July and beginning of August started to hit? Uh, yeah, you know, I did. Um, part of what I did is I, I talked to uh, another comic uh, to come with me, and I had just turned forty when, and I joked that it was my midlife crisis tour. Uh, <laughs> but he was he, he was twenty five, and he quit his job at Home Depot, uh, where he had been working like five or six years to uh, to go with me. And the idea was, is, you know, it, it was going to be his chance to hit the road. And it was it's interesting because whoever you're with when you go to a game, at least for me, it sort of took on the flavor of what it was like. And he, you know, he wasn't even a sports fan, so he would get mad at me when we would drive in because uh, we would listen to the pregame on the radio. I'd listen to Michael Kay, and then on the way home, I'd be listening to the postgame report with John Sterling, and he'd be like, I can't believe that we got to listen to it on the way there, we got to go there, and we got to listen to it on the way home. He's like, they talk about the same thing. And I was like, yeah, but we're doing the Yankee tour, you know. And so, um, so he was with me for 57 games, and part of the fun... I think the whole reason he was there because it makes my book a lot more interesting. Uh, of seeing the tension build between us and, you know, we sort of like the same kind of girls and he was always trying to steal girls from me. And so it was a lot of, a lot of those kind of fun stories. And when he left, it was all by myself, you know, and I, that was around June 8th. So I was like, game 58, 
was the first game I had to go to by myself. And actually, I loved it. You know, I didn't think initially I would be able to handle, you know, that kind of a, a season. It would be lonely, but, you know, it was great. You know, having the freedom to move around, move seats, you know, grab one beer, not two all the time, and meet people and go hang out with them and not always have to worry about something else. And, you know, we've we've restarted our friendship. We're cool again now. We do comedy together, but <laughs> it was definitely nice getting rid of him. And um, and then, you know, as the summer goes on, one of the, one of the stories, more and I think one of the things that people connected with my book was uh, my dad was not doing well. He had just turned uh, he was 85 at the time, and we knew that he probably wasn't going to live more than another year or two. And so making the decision to not be with him on his, you know what could be his last six months of his life was hard. And that was probably the thing I struggled with, especially in August. That season we had like I think there was 19 away games, and if you look at the schedule that that, that August was like man, this is brutal. And my dad was really coming to the end there. My whole family was down in Florida with him. And so for me, one of the things I sort of wanted to point out, you know, to the readers and just baseball fans is that as a player, you know, you've got family situations, you've got discipline problems, you've got people that are, you know, acting where you live, and you can't deal with them for the, for the Yankees eight or nine months out of the year, you know? Yeah, and that's tough. And, I mean, when you look back at, at the travel that's involved for, for to get back to see your family do things like that, um, and you look at what's coming up on the Yankees' you know current schedule where they have a makeup game, you know they got to play the Royals one game, and that's just uh, this has also happened earlier in the season against the Mariners. Were there any situations like that where you just had one game you had to get back to another city for and then go somewhere else right away? You know, it's so funny that you bring up the Royals because I was actually at the Kansas City Series a couple weeks ago. And as soon as that Monday game got rained out, I thought to myself, man, I'm glad this is, that would have been a probably close <laughs> to a thousand dollar thing, you know, by the time you get another airfare and stay up. So, uh, I had one situation. I remember the hurricane hit, uh, in 2011. We were in Baltimore and it was weird. It was like, uh, it was already like a four game series. I think they were already making up one game. So they wound up doing, um, you know, however it worked out, but they wound up, um, moving one game to September 8th. And it was my only, it was the only day off coming down the stretch. And for my business, I was actually supposed to be, be in Dallas. I was going to be part of this, uh, uh, like I was a, a keynote speaker at this big dinner and I had it all worked out. And then when they moved the Baltimore game, um, I couldn't, it didn't look like I could do it, but I wound up waking up in New York, taking a train to Baltimore. Um, going to about six innings, leaving the stadium at three o'clock, getting into a cab, being on the airport, flying out to Dallas for a meeting, and then we played LA the next day, so I flew out in the morning to LA. So, um, you know, didn't, and that was probably the most difficult kind of little travel thing. Um, I probably had close to 10 flights that I had to reschedule just because of, uh, rain outs and stuff too. And that, that was probably the most expensive thing because airports are not very, or airlines aren't very forgiving. Well, when you look back at that season that you followed, um, some things that come to mind, one being the way they went into that season uh, with Cologne and Garcia. And, you know, I, I remember writing things about the Yankees and how, uh, you know, I couldn't believe that they were willing to go into the season with that as part of their rotation. And then um, early in the season, Cologne comes out of the bullpen, becomes a starter, goes on to have a great year. Freddie Garcia even had, even had a good year. But, you know, when you look back on that season, is there anything, uh, you know, in particular with, with, the, uh, with the roster, with the personnel, any big moments that you remember? that stood out for being in attendance at when it happened? Yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, first of all, it was just cool, and it's cool to talk to somebody like you that really, you know, that writes about it and, and that knows about, you know, all the details like that because it, cause that's what I love. You know, I'd be sitting there in the seventh inning and I'm looking in the bullpen going, why aren't you getting up to lefty? Or, you know, like, are you kidding me with this guy on the bench? And so you know 
the moves that Girardi makes and the moves that he should make <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you're, so it's fun. You're always taking guests. And, and then especially when you're listening to sports radio, you feel very connected. Um, I would say two things, three things stuck out. Uh, being Jorge Posada's last season was cool. And there were some ups and downs, you know, and, and you know, when Cashman sort of called him out, that time publicly and then Jorge went back at him and, and, uh, and so, but it was really fun being there and watching the fans and how much they appreciated Jorge. Um, you know, uh, the second thing was, uh, actually four things. The old timers day, uh, Pinella, Tori and Bernie made their, uh, their re-entrance at the Yankee stadium, which was amazing. Uh, and then Mariano 602 was that year. And so, what was cool for me is I got to see 600 in Seattle, 601 in Toronto, then 602 uh, in New York. And then, of course, the biggest thing was uh, the anniversary we just celebrated yesterday, <clears throat> Derek Jeter, uh, doing 3,000. I mean, I can't remember a, betting, a better sporting event uh, that I've ever attended. I mean, from, you know, from the minute you walked in, you know, you didn't want to leave your seat. And it was just, it was, uh, just amazing. Uh, and I'll always remember that more than anything. Well, you brought up something that I wanted to talk about. Not uh, not only the Jeter 3000 hit, but that's Jorge Posada. I mean, you were in attendance at the game when, um, you know, he finally, uh, you know, got moved down in the order when Nuts on Girardi got scratched. And it looked like he might actually just get caught, like, outright. It looked like they might, you know, try to do something. And it was about... Um, it, it was early May, I want to remember. I could, It was a Saturday game, I remember. It was on Fox... Uh, let me see if I get the date here. It looks like, yeah, Saturday, May 14th, they lost 6 nothing. Josh Becky pitched. And um, I remember going to my sister's college graduation the next day, and I saw, and I was with my dad, and I, you know, we were talking about it, and it seemed like at the time, you know, that might be it. And you were in attendance for that game, and, you know, I don't know if it sticks out in your mind, but, you know, it's one of the bigger points of that season, I think, with all the drama that started to happen and finally boiled over with Posada and Girardi. Yeah, you know, it certainly did. And uh, it was funny, even Jorge's wife was, was got involved. Uh, Laura Posada, and she was talking publicly about it. And, um, and you know, one of the things I've always respected about Cheater and, and, and I don't know, Tori, I think too, but they always kept it in the locker room. And so the thing that, that I remember most just about that situation is that, you know, they're all talking about it during the game, before the game, you know, and it's like, listen, you guys got to handle these things and we don't need to know, you know, everybody's drama. Um, of course, you know, when you're, the, the one down thing about downside of being at all the games is you're not getting, you don't watch the commentary and I'm not the kind of guy or at least I wasn't that year that listens on the radio during the game because you can pick up a lot of stuff. So a lot of the stuff, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know if somebody got scratched or, you know, that there was a fight in, in the thing or, or uh, you know, the, there's pine tar on somebody's neck and <laughs> stuff like that, unless you're really watching on TV and you can follow it, you know. And, uh, yeah, and another thing, um, a game that I was actually at that I remember, uh, I'm sure you do too, was the uh, the comeback, the game where uh, uh, it was uh, Phil Hughes started against the A's and they hit um, all those grand slams and won 22-9, to and that was uh, August 25th. Um, you know, that's a memorable game, and that's one of those crazy comebacks. I remember being at a game uh, in 05 when they trailed uh, – they trailed Tampa Bay huge, and they ended up scoring like 13 runs in the final two innings and, and coming back. But that one sticks out, that 22-9 to win with all the grand slams that set the record. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. I remember thinking it was about it was like the third or fourth inning, and it was the hurricane was coming, and I was supposed to drive down to Baltimore. I did drive down right after the game. And we were losing right away, like 4 nothing or 5 nothing. And I was like, man, this game sucks. I was like, I wonder how long I really got to stay. And all of a sudden, uh, they hit the grand slam. I think it was uh, at some point it was 7-6, and... Um, I'm embarrassed to say, and I didn't leave very many games early, but I missed the last grand slam. It was like, I think it was the eighth, and we already went 16 to nine. And I was like, I'm out of here. It was, it was, <laughs> if I stayed any longer, I was going to hit the five o'clock traffic really hard. 
and I just I was exhausted at that point of the season. Just gonna say, I'll admit that I was uh, you know waiting for the train too. I left early and I checked the <laughs> game day on the app and I saw that they hit the other Grand Slam, so I wasn't there for it either. Oh, God, that's cool. You know the the one craziest game that I can remember, Neil, is um you probably remember this. It was a couple weeks after that. It was actually a week later, September. I think it was the third or the fourth. It, they started at eleven oh seven. Um, it was against actually the Baltimore was in town and they, um, they, you know, there were no more makeup. There were no more days off to make it up. So they just kept waiting and waiting. And that particular day, I, um, at like, I would say at about seven or eight o'clock, I realized, you know what? I can't keep here sitting here drinking beers. I need to take it easy. And so I went to my car to take a nap and I left the radio or I left my headlights on. I didn't realize it. So I came uh, back, it was like 10 o'clock. I hear Sterling say, they're going to play this game. And so I, um, I, but my car is dead. I was like, man, I don't know. Maybe if I leave it, it'll charge itself. <laughs> so the 11, so it starts at 11.07 and I get to be somewhere early in the morning and I get back out to my car at 2 a.m. and it's, it's totally dead. And so now I'm trying to get a jump in the Bronx and stuff. But, you know, just the fact that they started a game at 11.07, a lot of fans don't even realize that, you know, and it was still raining the whole game too. Yeah, it's those little quirks that uh, you know. At the time, you know, some people are probably happy because uh, maybe they could they weren't going to be able to watch it if it was earlier. Some people are probably pissed because they have something to do the next day. But for someone who's actually traveling with the team, it's those things. It's you know delays or uh, you know rain delays at the beginning, in the middle, extra innings. It's those things that you know will get the fans in attendance the most angry. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my big, my biggest thing that I watch out for now is to make sure that they're actually going to play. Uh, and start that the tarp's not on the field uh, because you know I'd rather sit over at the dugout or something and not go in the stadium where everything's a million dollars. You know. No, exactly, and you can't go wrong at the dugout with the uh, cheap Coors Lights and the and the Paps Blue yeah. Ribbons I got there. And the uh, right. you know the other thing from that season I wanted to talk about was the end of the season. And uh, you know they lose the final four games of the regular season, get swept in Tampa Bay, which. Um, as a Yankees fan, you're, you're rooting for them almost to get swept because at the same time Boston's losing to Baltimore, it's going to screw them out of a playoff spot. The craziest game, you know, has to be that last game of the season, game 162, uh, where the Yankees are up 7 nothing. They blow it. Longoria hits the walk-off off Scott Proctor, which I think everyone saw coming. And meanwhile, up in Baltimore, you know, the Red Sox, Jonathan Pavelbon chokes away their game, and, and they miss the playoffs. Um, you know, you're at that game. You're at those final three games in Tampa Bay. Are you just, you know, happy that the season's coming to the end, the postseason's around? the corner are you uh, or are you know sitting there hoping the Rays can come back and eliminate Boston you know I had such like you say I mean you summed it all up it was such mixed emotions but at the same time it was like I didn't have a care in the world at that point uh all we had to do is rest our starters you know nobody gets hurt and play off our Friday against Detroit at home when we had a locked up which was great and but it was so amazing. As soon as I remember, I think it was either game one sixty or one sixty one, where the whole stadium sat in their seats because um, they beat us first, and they had the Red Sox game on, and the place was going nuts rooting for Baltimore to beat Boston. And of course, I do too. You know, yeah. um, on the other side of it, on the other side of it, I really thought that for my book to be a success, that it would really help if the Yankees won the World Series or at least got there. And at that point, it would have, you know, Boston and the Yankees could have played in the ALCS. We know how much fun that always is. So <laughs> I was, I was sort of secretly rooting for Boston. 
Um, but I was very happy that they got eliminated. It couldn't happen in a better way as a Yankee fan, you know? Yeah, and another thing from, you know, from that final game there that people don't remember is uh, the starter of that game was Dellen Batances, who, you know, was on his way out as a starting pitcher and uh, obviously didn't really, you know, do much for the Yankees over the next two years. And now here he is as an all-star uh, coming out of the bullpen, giving us a little Mariano Rivera from 1996 right now. Wow. I mean, I did, I did not even realize that until you said that. <laughs> Um, that is amazing. But if you remember that game, what they did, I don't know if they did it the whole game, but for the first, I think for the first seven innings, probably eight innings, they had a different, um, a different pitcher pitch every inning. Which yeah, was they crazy. ended up, uh, they ended up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Proctor ended up being the eleventh pitcher, and he went two and two thirds mm-hmm. innings. So he, you know, he ended up actually going the longest of all of them. They used uh, Batances, Contos, Laffy, Hughes, Valdez, Burnett, Brackman, Logan, Ayala, Wade, and then Proctor. So yeah, I think uh, Joe Girardi okay. did basically everything in his power to give that game away and uh, you know knock Boston out of contention. Yeah, and how apropos was it for Scott Proctor to be the ones that you know not send somebody into the playoffs, not his team, another team. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you know two two days after game one sixty two. Um, the playoffs start, and, and it's a Friday night game, and uh, I wasn't at the stadium for that game, but, you know, I, I've, I'm i watching the game. Uh, there's rain in the forecast. Uh, you got Sabathia going against Verlander at home at Yankee Stadium. The place is going nuts because of what happened, uh, you know, in, the, in 2010 ALCS. If they had gotten Cliff Lee that July, they'd probably end up winning uh, at least the American League, if not the World Series. And then, you know, it looked like this team was ready to, to go on another lengthy run in the playoffs. And then the rain comes, and, and it sort of screws over both teams, and they lose both the starting pitchers. And uh, Major League Baseball really botched that one. You're sitting in the stands. First game of the playoffs, it's one to one in the first inning, and they call the game to move it to the next night. Yeah, man, it was so weird. It was uh, it was really an odd thing. Um, but for, you know, at that point in the season, it was sort of everything was still so surreal, and there was so much there was so much rain, especially the second half of the season, that you almost expected something weird was going to happen. But then it really did. It threw off the whole rotation, and I think what surprised anybody more than anything is that game four where uh, Burnett came in and pitched a, a masterpiece, really. And uh, and we won big, and then man, we blew blew that game five. But it was one run, one run separated the whole thing. Yeah, and I remember uh, going when they were going, uh, you know, for game four. They're down two games to one, looking at uh, an ALDS uh, exit like they had in uh, in '05 and '06 and '07, and. You know, with Burnett, I remember, I think it was actually Bald Vinny who started the Believe in Burnett, or I, I remember him hyping it up, so I don't know if it was him, but the hashtag uh, I Believe in Burnett, and, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, me writing uh, before com when I wrote for WFAA and CBS New York, you know, I wrote more words about A.J. Burnett than anybody else in my entire life, um, you know, he's at the top, I'd say, of my least favorite Yankees, and you know, granted, I'm only 27, so there's there's not too many to pick pick and choose from because my generation of Yankees fans has uh, been spoiled. But going into that game, I had no faith in Burnett. I thought that was going to be the end of it. And uh, Curtis Granderson makes that amazing catch, uh, which I believe was in the bottom of the first with the bases loaded. He sort of misjudged it, then jumped up and grabbed it. And Burnett did go on five and two thirds, one run. Um, you know, at that point. You know, facing elimination, you're sitting there in Detroit. Uh, did you think it was going to go back to New York for a game five? Yeah, you know, um, you know, Burnett's one of those guys that he could be as good as anybody. You know, as much as we don't like him, and I think he's a he's a baby a lot of the time, <laughs> um, and he could be as awful as anybody. But you know, I, I, I just felt like we weren't done yet. And um, and their guy, you know, we weren't going against Verlander. We were, I think it was like Cor- Corcello uh, is who we were going against. Um, and so, you know, it was just, it was the first game that it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. 
you know, because I had put my whole life on hold for six months. And so um, I already had a tentative uh, reservation uh, to go to uh, Dallas to play in Texas, you know, because if we won, I think it was that Thursday night game, I was headed, you know, I was headed on Saturday to uh, uh, to Dallas for the first game of the next series. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was depressing. I mean, I remember as soon as that last pitch was out and, and I just remember walking to the car and being like, you know, was this all, why did I even do this? You know, was it all even worth it? And, and it was, but I think just when it's over, it's just so emotional that, man, I put all this into it and now it's finished, you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, when you're feeling like that and then and then they come back and they do win game four and now you're going back to New York right away and they've got to play game five at home and, you know, you you got to like the Yankees' chances at home, at Yankee Stadium, uh, especially the new building where they absolutely dominated up until that point, and they have really every season in the new building except for this one. Um, but they lose that game 3-2, to two, and they had so many chances to win that game. I mean, the middle of the order really let them down, and then, of course, it let them down again the following year. But at that time, um, you know, in that game, I just remember so many people being on base. Uh, A-Rod went 0-4, uh, Teixeira went 1-3, for Swisher 1-4, for you know, the postseason and joke that he is and, and, and was at the time. And, you know, that must have been heartbreaking to have it all come crashing to an end at home, 3-2 uh, to two in Game 5 when, you know, it was right there for the taking. Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, looking back, it was it was a great series. You know, it was a great series and and um, and stuff like that. But, you know, once it was over, it was just like, you know, it was, it was six months of frustration. It's hard enough watching the Yankees get um, knocked out of the postseason. But, you know, when you've been to every game for the whole year, you're still so connected to it. And it was uh, it was depressing. I was probably like depressed for about a week before he snapped out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like the finality of any season because uh, you know when it comes down to a game seven in sports, or in this case, a game five in the first round, you know, it, it's so quick and it happens so fast. And when you think about you know starting up with a team, you know, right after a season ends, through the off season, you know, who's going to be on the, who are they going to sign, who are they going to get in the winter? You go through spring training, a month of you know reading up and watching meaningless baseball, and then six months grind where it's nearly every day for six months. Um, and then it all comes, you know, to an end after five, you know, games and five disappointing games. You know, I can't really fathom what that's like for someone to be a part of it. And I guess it sort of gave you a sense of, you know, what the players go through almost because they're there every day. You're there every day. It's like you're, you're it's like you're right there with them uh, every step of the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and that was one of the things that I really wanted to um, to see, just like as a as a player. Of course, I wasn't a player, but um, but you know, just how how tough being on the road is for six months, and then. Of course, the Yankees have spring training, and then they make the playoffs usually, obviously. So that you know that's eight months, and that you're really away from your family and being on the road, and and you put everything into it. And I think uh, I think especially more so for the Yankees because they there there's a lot of pressure on the Yankees to win, you know, where another team if they don't make the playoffs or or whatever, or even if they do make the playoffs and they get knocked out, they were so happy that they were there in many situations. So I think it's a little bit more pride with the Yankees. Well, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, some games, or at least in the Baltimore games, you know, you, you, there was rain, you went out to your car, or, you know, the Grand Slam game, you left early like I did. You, was there a, was there a lot of games, like, where, you, where there was blowouts and you were like, I got to get out of here, or did you set, like, a limit for yourself, I have to get into the game by this time, or I have to at least stay through this inning? Well, I, don't, I, I, I did not. You know, I, I didn't want to set any limits on myself, because if I did and then I broke it, then I'd be screwed. Like, if I said I got to be there by the end of the first inning, um, and especially when Marshnowski, the comedian, the first guy was with me, we would sit in the dugout and be like going on the second inning, bottom of the second. I was like, dude, we got to get inside. And we'd be, you know, pounding the $3 beers. <laughs> um, and then, 
there was one game where we did we wound up doing a comedy show out in Huntington that we found out about because it was a it looked like we were up like four nothing. I don't know if you remember this game. It was early in the season. Uh, Soriano comes in, walks the bases loaded. We wind up losing to the Twins five four, and we we hear that you know it's four nothing when we left in the top of the eighth. I think is when he gave gave it up. And so by the time we get to the car, they're they're losing five four. And that was the only game that I actually went to where. The score changed after I left, and night, you know, and we lost. Or um, so I didn't. So I was pretty much, you know, one of the things I try to do is I want to treat every game like I only would go to one game. You know, like I'm not. I, I moved from New York when I was eight years old. My dad was a New York City fire chief when we retired, so I didn't grow up going to like ten games a year, twenty games a year. So I think that's one of the things that made me a fanatic is that I've always really wanted to go to games. I love going to baseball games. And so when I want to go, it's not like, okay, well, I got a big weekend, so I'm not going to drink any beer tonight. I want to treat every game individually like, and appreciate every game, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the Minnesota game because I was at that game as well. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I do this thing sort of every once in a while when Girardi messes up, uh, at least for a couple of days in a row, <laughs> where I do sort of my own version of the Joe Girardi show that uh, Michael K does on Yes. And I just, you know, write, write questions for Girardi, like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And that, that game sort of started it all because, you know, that was a disaster early in the season. And, uh, you know, that game just had me in fury right off the bat right when the season opened so it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned that game and the you know the other thing I, I guess I was gonna say is would you do this again or was that you know was that a one-time deal and such a grind that you just couldn't do it again no I would absolutely do it again um, I mean it was a grind and I think it put a few years on my life uh, <laughs> but I would absolutely do it again I, I really almost did it this year like when Jeter announced his retirement so early I always said that if he announced it and gave me a chance that I, and, you know, that I could make the proper plans. And he did. He announced it plenty early. And I just, you know, I just, I had a couple things going on this summer that were really big in my life. I was just like, you know, I know what a commitment it is. Um, but I'll tell you what I did last year. And then I want to talk to you about one of, one of the, the games during this. But I went to Mariano's last 42 games. And so I'm almost finished with my second book called The Last 42. And it started, I think it was August uh, 16th in Boston. So I went to that series and then I did the last 42 of the year and so that was really cool just to, and I and I sort of um just wanted to see the way that he was getting treated in every stadium and just be there for his you know for the uh, finale of his career I wanted to ask Ed do you remember the game where uh, Girardi left uh, I know you do where he <laughs> brought in not even left him and he brought in Chamberlain in Toronto where a few games out of the wild card we still were hanging on by a string and he walks the first guy second guy gets a hit Third guy um, is a lefty, and he leaves them in, and he hits the home run. I think it was Bra. Uh, I'm not sure who it was that hit the home three run homer, and we and, and it went from being three to one to six to one. And I felt like that was the end of the season last year. Personally. <laughs> well, no, I, I do remember that, and I think you know I've always said this about Girardi, and the thing with him is that he just he just doesn't seem. I mean, everyone always talks about how great he is with the bullpen, but he always has this problem where he, he always seems to you know never know when the exact right time to push a button is. He was like this with Burnett forever, where he would always let him face that extra guy too long, where it came back to screw him over. And I know that you know that's a you know that's a second guessing, and obviously anytime someone gives up a bomb coming out of the bullpen you could say you know why didn't he do this why didn't he do that but I think he sort of got into this mentality that Jabba Chamberlain could be the guy he was in 2007 and he just never could return to that form yeah you know it's weird it's like I do I think that Joe's got a great baseball head and 
and whatever. But you say you nailed it. Like with his relationship with the bullpen, it's like he's got absolutely no intuition at all. He's got no connection with them at all. And it's like, you know, and now he's got, you know, now we got, I think we got a great bullpen now. But, you know, you just wonder sometimes what's going on up there. Yeah, and I think everyone, you know, when they talk about Joe Girardi, the first thing people bring up is he's great at managing the bullpen, which to me only means he's great at giving guys days off because you look at even a game like Wednesday night uh, in Cleveland, he takes out Adam Warren, who was, you know, I'm not the biggest Adam Warren guy either, and I don't really trust him, and I, and I feel at some point this season uh, he's going to trust him a little too much. But, you know, he was doing a solid job last night, got, you know, got the first guy out there in extra innings, and he brings it David Huff. The guy walks a guy walks another guy, walks another guy. So it's not until he loads the bases with walks that he decides he's going to take him out for Sean Kelly. So, you know, at some point, I mean, he just doesn't seem to ever play with urgency. And, you know, it's not April 15th anymore. It's not May 1st anymore. Uh, They're at a point here where the All-Star breaks up. Tanaka could be done for a year, you know, barring whatever news comes back there. And, uh, you know, they're only three games out. He's he's almost playing like it's April, and he's still trying to define roles, Uh, you know, bringing in his his second and third to last guys in the bullpen in major spots. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Totally. Well, the other thing, you know, before we wrap it up is, uh, you know, I asked you if you'd do this whole thing again. You said you would. Um, I guess the other question for someone, you know, who's intrigued by this, who, who could possibly do this down the road, what would you do differently that, you know, you, you did it once, you, you maybe can learn from some mistakes. Uh, what would you change if you went through it again? Absolutely. You know, what drives people crazy now when they go to a game with me is I never – ever buy tickets in advance unless it's like a really big game or something like that but even um even that playoff game the, the the um the game one that got rained out all of a sudden i had a bunch of people friends of mine that couldn't go and they're all giving me their tickets and i already had a bunch of tickets so i wound up with like scalping three or four tickets outside of um you know the replay of game one and it's a playoff game at yankee stadium against detroit and i'm selling tickets for 40 bucks you know so what i learned more what i learned more than anything is it's all about supply and demand um everybody overpays for tickets there's always more people that come with extra tickets than that show up looking for tickets you know unless it's a world series game for the most part um and you know cheater stretched down the down the uh, way, you know, people are either going to that or they're not. They're, most people aren't going to cancel at the last minute. But you know, New Yorkers are so are so finicky because there's a million things to do. They could go to the theater, they could go to concerts, they can, you know, go to nice restaurants. The Bronx is sort of far away, so it's easy to want to go and then not go. So the biggest thing I would do, um, like I pay on average every night when I go to the stadium, uh, twenty bucks tops, ten to twenty. You know, and only ten if you know someone's just walking in and. You know, I, I just, uh, hey, I'm just looking for one, and I negotiate with them a little bit, or I'll tell them I'll buy them a beer or something like that. But now that I've got my book with me, I show my book, and I tell them what I did, and a lot of times they'll, uh, you know, they'll count me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming on and, and you know telling the story. I think it's something that a lot of Yankees fans would like to do. Uh, maybe not all of them are as ambitious as you, where you know they'd go actually go out and do it. But it's something I think that any Yankees fan, uh, anyone that likes watching the game, loves watching in person, would like to do down the road. And uh, once again, the book is uh, One Sixty Two: The Almost Epic Journey of a Yankee Super Fan by Steve Mealy. You could get it at One Sixty Two Yankee dot com. Steve, thanks again, and uh, you know we should definitely talk again down the road. Especially Especially when the last 42 comes out, I'd love to talk about that and uh, you know find out how it was um, you know heading into the home stretch for Mariano Rivera. Hey man, it was a real pleasure to talk to somebody as knowledgeable as you as the Yankees. I uh, appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you again, Neil. Thanks, buddy.